Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrived at the nexus of primeval cauldron of space-time itself, known as episode 556, where Time Lords generally aren't good at handling things, especially themselves. The Doctor's just the exception to the rule. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's it going, guys? How is everybody this week? You weren't a kid, and that was a long one. (laughs) Yeah, see, I told you. That was the intro of intros there. (laughs) I feel like we need a, a, I don't know, bigger, bigger music precede that something more grand yeah (laughs) hopefully the music didn't just run out (laughs) oh i'm sure i'm sure it did (laughs) peter out halfway through my open somebody call murray gold get him on the horn i understand he's he's not busy right now no 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 no. not doing anything is he he's really ramping up time now john williams uh john's retired We'll let him retire. Well, let's see. He's got plenty of time to compose a theme for our podcast. Then <laughs> yeah, I think I'll reach out. out of retirement, though. Hmm? Doesn't he keep coming out yeah, of retirement? Yeah, because everybody. Like Jones. Yep, everybody has a project for him, so he comes out of retirement briefly. That's not retirement. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's the that's the height of retirement when you can decide. Eh, all right, I'll do one more. Yeah, but just for you, I am retired. After all, you don't have to pay me more. That's that's you know. That's it's just a ploy to get more money. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because John Williams needs more money. <laughs> Contact John Williams TTV score. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll uh, get right on that. I'll, I'm looking, I'll reach out to his I'm people. looking forward to getting that from you. Dear John. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that kind of dear John. That's a very different dear John. May I call you Johnny? <laughs> did you guys do How anything about Mr. Williams? <laughs> did you guys do anything fun in this past week? I watched a movie. I finally what did you, watched, you watch? I finally got around to seeing The Flash. Oh, uh, what did you think? Well, it's the best worst movie I've seen. Um I'm conflicted because I had a lot of fun watching it, but it has so many problems. Um there's jokes that don't land there's it almost becomes a little too silly and doesn't take itself serious in the places where it should be taking itself serious. And then it takes itself too serious in other places where it shouldn't be. And so there's this real conundrum when, when it comes to watching it, but as a whole, and, and a lot of the things that they do in it would have probably been more exciting before Spider-Man no way home. But now it sort of feels like they've borrowed an idea in a way. It's, mm. it's, it's different, but in, in a way it feels like they've borrowed an idea. Anyway, but when it comes down to it, I had a lot of fun watching it from beginning to end. So, yes, it's not a great movie. It's, it, it, it probably, I don't know that it deserves its, its status of bombing this summer, but it's, it's, it's a fun movie and I did enjoy watching it. So, uh, it's... <laughs> That's two sides of it. I know that's a terrible review of a film, but uh, <laughs> that's how I felt. I really enjoyed watching it, but it just it it is problematic in places. Did you see that it was the biggest superhero bomb of all time? Yeah, so far, two hundred million dollars lost on the Flash. I'm sure the uh, Marvel... bigger bomb than 
Green Lantern. Yeah, well, I'm sure Marvel and, and uh, the Ant-Man crew are, are happy that they <laughs> were followed up by that. <laughs> Sean, what? did you do anything? <laughs> Poor DC. Uh, <laughs> well, what did I do? I uh, watched the new Venture Brothers movie, Radiant mm-hmm. is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. And laughed hysterically for I'm, 90 minutes. I'm hearing great things from that. It makes me want to go back and finish the series and then watch that. Yeah, it's it's very much a, as a standalone movie, it fails miserably. Mm. You, you would not get anything out of it if you were mm. not familiar with the characters or the show or everything. Um, and it's, it's very much kind of a truncated, this would have been season eight yeah. had things gone differently. But mm. as a kind of, you know final wrap up um it, it, it it's it's pretty fantastic well i sort of fell off in season four and not for lack of quality of the show because it was it was a, such a great show it just i think that might have been the time where we we cut the cord with cable and so i didn't have it readily available and then i think you had it on dvd and at one time we talked about me borrowing it i think but i don't think i ever well, I, I didn't give you back the movies that I still had out, so <laughs> you hit your. Um, I hit my quota. Limit. Yeah. We we may actually have to start uh, assessing you uh, some late fees on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got I'll, most I'll, back now. I think there's only six that I still no five that I still have. Uh, I'll, I'll have to check my records. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do that. <laughs> and then, um, sadly, the the twenty first came and went. And I did not get to experience Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. I'm so devastated. Oh, I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah, it, it became a matter of how do we find a babysitter for five plus hours <laughs> to, to to knock out two of them. And uh, yeah, it just 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 wasn't happening. So we we kind of have hopes that maybe this Tuesday. Oh, so you haven't seen them. either of them since either? I have not oh. seen either I'm of to them. Make it. A double feature, huh? Mm-hmm. Really trying to make it a double feature. I mean, I will see both of them in theater. That is a, a for sure. I'd really just like to do a double feature. Which Although I understand, do it in. Well, um, the the sadist in me says Barbie first and then Oppenheimer, so that it starts off happy and fine and then goes downhill. Um, but I, I understand probably the proper way to do it is to do Oppenheimer first and then get some levity back into your life. <laughs> Uh, although I understand now there's a, a large group of people that are uh, uh, just, we can't wait and are clamoring for the digital releases of both so that they can start editing them together <laughs> and actually create a Barbenheimer cut. Well, you know, all the reviews are talking about how incredibly powerful and heavy and deep the film is. And then there's Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the best comments I uh, I saw over the weekend was, uh, dropping the kids off at Oppenheimer so the adults can go enjoy Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just my luck, the the big cultural event of the year, and I missed it. <laughs> so I'm a little heartbroken. <laughs> Keith, what about you? Uh, I've not watched anything. I've finished a book very recently called The House on the Cerulean Sea. Is that how you say that? The color, Cerulean. Um, it was fantastic. It was really good. Um, uh, by TJ. Oh, I just lost his last name. Same guy who wrote under the whispering door, which I reviewed not that long ago. Um, I think I remember you mentioning that one, that it was good. 
Yeah, and it was. It it this is very much the same tone. Um TJ Clune is the author. But this one is about it's a magical world, but all the the fantasy quote unquote creatures have to either be registered or the children wind up often in orphanages and you follow along with a, a an inspector for this company or this agency who goes and makes sure these orphanages are um, an okay standard and taking care of the children and everything. And he gets sent off on this very high, very classified uh, mission and it changes his life. It's so good. It's, that it's sounds predictable. like a great concept. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very similar to, it's kind of, I would compare it to, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children meets Umbrella Academy. Hmm. It's got some really good humor to it. It's got kind of the same kind of feel as Miss Peregrine because it's a bunch of children. And it's just, yeah, it's the, the tone he strikes between the comedy and the serious and the the heartstrings that it's pulled. I mean, overall, you, you step back and look at it and it's predictable. You know what's going to happen by the end of it, but the ride is so enjoyable that you... You're okay with it. Wow. And you really get attached to all the characters because he adds just enough characters to make it interesting, but not too many that you're overwhelmed and you can grow attachments to all the different children that he includes and then the, all, the, the very few adults that are there. And it's, yeah, I, it's the, this and Under the Whispering Door, I might have to actually get physical copies of so I can own them because I enjoyed them that much. Mm. This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg, and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I also listened to a couple of Big Finish audios, one of which I'm going to do as a something new two-minute review. Um, the other one I'm going to mention real quick, I did listen to The Lost Stories Return of the Cybermen, mm. which was released a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and it was good. I really liked it. It, it varies enough from the Revenge of the Cybermen that it's the, the trappings are familiar and a lot of the same plot points are this are very similar but there's enough differences and they made enough changes from gary davis's script for revenge that it's it is you get to a certain point and it's starkly different hmm. and to some extent i might like i need to go back and revisit revenge now that i've listened to return i think i kind of like return better hmm. i don't know if that's how blasphemous that could be but <laughs> I, I think the story is just simpler. They don't try to add too much extra stuff in it. And mm-hmm. I listening to some bonus features, it sounds like that's part of what uh, Philip Hinchcliffe had an issue with was the fact that he thought the story was a little too simple. Yeah. And I think the story being simple works more in its favor than he gives the credit for. Uh, and hmm. the, the, the motivations behind the Cybermen, I don't know if it's the, the rewriting that was done um, for the big finish audio, but it's a lot clearer 
why they're doing what they're doing to Nerva and what their ultimate goal is with Nerva more so than it is with Revenge of the Cybermen. That's but for my, that's not even your two minute. <laughs> review that's either. not even my two minute review <laughs> because it was not new. It was a couple years ago. Uh, my something new two minute review. I before I listened to Return of the Cybermen, I listened to Lost Stories Daleks Genesis of Terror. It's it's enjoyable. It's good. It's just very short. And the reason it's very short is it's only episode one. They only took the original treatment and script that Terry Nation wrote up for episode one of Genesis of the Daleks, which is what he was presenting to say, okay, here's what the story could be. And it's not that drastically different from my memory. Um, The doctor is a little different because he was written more in line with John Pertwee. Um, But, and, and how they kind of get into the situation and how he gets convinced to go to Scarrow is a little different, and they add some nice little big finish, you know, forward-looking retroactive things to it. But it was—it's an interesting listen, but it wasn't enough of a departure from the original, from the TV story that I felt like it was wholly warranted. Glenn, you might get more out of it than I did, just because it's Daleks, and you know, it has been a couple years since I've watched Genesis of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, more interesting was probably the hour long interview with Philip Hinchcliffe in the bonus features, <laughs> but, and that was going back and him looking at a whole bunch of stuff and how he went about how he approached, you know, his time on the show. Hmm. Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah. It, that, if nothing else, listening to that is totally worth it. And because it's only they they do their big finish thing for the first episode and then the rest they still give you the other five parts but it's just somebody narrating the adventure mm. from that point forward which is literally beat for beat the exact same of what the actual TV story was right right really? had i known had i known all of that going in i might have liked it maybe more but going in expecting lost story Daleks Genesis of Terror, the original Genesis of the Daleks, I was disappointed. All right. Well, thanks for that. We appreciate the review. You were invited on an adventure across all of time and space in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshke, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Who-niverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. Well, some exciting news. Russell T. Davies has announced that production has wrapped on season 14, so which is the first season with Shudi Gatwa. I don't know about now you guys. Now it's on the post-production. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it really feels like it zipped along because it just seems like just a few weeks back when we were getting first glimpses of the Doctor's outfit, Ruby's outfit, and the cast announcement, casting announcements and things like that. But I wonder if if 
maybe more of that. Well, I suppose that's probably been about what May is when all that started falling out. So I suppose maybe it's been longer than I think. And I guess if you're working on a week to week schedule, that makes sense, especially since I think what they're only doing eight episodes uh, for the seasons. But then, well, now with just as much post production as there well, is on the show true. and all the visual effects, they that's need true. more of a lead time. But it just seems like a really quick turnaround for just even, you know, a principal production. It makes me wonder if we're going to get it early next year as opposed to later next year. Well, that'd be great. Well, that'd be great. <laughs> We've got such dry spells between series now. It's just, it's almost excruciating sometimes. Yeah. Also, might, rather than later, right? Well, and also <laughs> may, maybe that's part of their deal with um, Disney Plus too, is so that they have you know, the turnarounds a little, little quicker, so they don't have as many, you know many gaps in it as well. Who knows? I'm excited. I'm excited to see what uh, Shooty does with it. This article also talks about the promotional material, promotional stuff they did for the Barbie movie in the UK. Did you guys see that? With <laughs> I the did Tardis? with the Tardis being pink. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. I like. And I like the- how the. The the, in, the Doctor Who official Instagram even posted a video of Happiness Patrol. Yeah, yeah. I like it says the TARDIS runs on pure energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I first saw a picture of it. I was like, why is there a pink TARDIS out there? Is, <laughs> and I went had to go and look up. Is it the anniversary of Happiness Patrol? Is that what? The, no, just Barbie. No. Everybody's getting in on the pink. <laughs> I, I, I saw also saw the pink picture of the TARDIS and also went Happiness Patrol promotion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? Or sequel? Is it? Are they announcing a Happiness Patrol sequel in the next season? I mean, seems like an odd flex, but okay. Yeah, we, we yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. And then I don't know. A couple of days later, I heard something about barbie promotions were everywhere and i went oh i'll bet that's what it was but i never actually <laughs> went back and looked because you guys know me i, I like to be surprised with things so right right well, of course shooty is in the barbie movie yes so. this is also true <laughs> i also had forgotten that part <laughs> <laughs> i had actually forgotten that until over the weekend people we were talking about how many people were in this film and i was like oh yeah I can't. and i knew shooty was in it because i remember several months back hearing that but then suddenly they, it reminded me of that, and then they started naming off like two or three people. I was like, well, I had no idea they were even in it. So a lot of big <laughs> names in it. What's next? Oh, they Target has announced novelizations for the 2023 specials: The Star Beast, Wild Blue Yonder, and The Giggle. Yay! Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't even gotten around to reading the novelizations for all the other new stuff that they've done. I think the only one that I've read of the new stuff so far is Twice Upon a Time which I think I read a few Christmases ago. This is the 50th year Target has been publishing Doctor Who books. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So it's not only the 60th anniversary, it's you know not yeah. an anniversary for Target. That's true. Of course, I think this is something that wasn't quite a surprise when they announced no. it because they have been novelizing the new ones under the Target imprint. So these were just... I think maybe what was surprising about it was it ha- or them announcing it so soon. But. Yeah, they're, they they haven't while they've been doing new series novelizations, they haven't been that close on the heels yeah. of actual air date. Because uh, these, it's these really are com- cool that they're actually going to start doing that. Right, these come out in January of next year too. So yeah, yeah. So all three will have aired and is will probably be on DVD by the time they get novelizations. Right. 
it'd be kind of fun if they could get them novelized and released before, you know, they officially hit, you know, Disney Plus or um, at least purchase for on DVD. That'd be kind of fun. Well, you don't think we're getting day and date for Disney Plus? I don't know. I think we will. I, I think, think so. We will. At least getting it before uh, DVD. DVD, cool. yeah. It'd be almost like the good old days. <laughs> right. <laughs> and our next bit of news. Well, speaking of DVDs, season 20 or Peter Davison season two is getting a Blu-ray release. Yay. Did you guys watch the uh, trailer for this? I did not get a chance. You did. I, I, I watched I, most of the trailer for this, oh, and then got called. I tried away. to load it and watch it, and oh, the no. children were not cooperating, oh. and then I forgot to go back and mm. watch it. Yeah, Janet Fielding and um, uh, Nissa. Uh, <laughs> why is why does this actress Sarah Sutton? Why does that actress's name always escape me every time? Uh, reuniting as Tegan and Nissa. Uh, in a way, um, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody that hasn't seen it because, but um, it does. Uh, I will spoil that it has kind of a kind to, kind to flare, so or at least the uh, snake <laughs> uh, uh, element to it. But I thought it was a really neat and kind of u- an unusual way the um, the way that they've done these in the past have always been these kind of nostalgic, and this still has airs of this, but sort of that nostalgic. Um, fun reunion type, you know, with the doctor or with the us as viewers with the companions. Sometimes when they're just the only one that's featured, and this one kind of does it in a little different way, which, in the spirit of uh, <coughs> Snake Dance and Kenda, really kind of it makes sense the way they did it. And I thought it was really cool and, and very clever the way they've done the the, the trailer. But what do you guys think of a, another? edition a 40th anniversary edition of the five doctors well i think that's all right because i mean we had the i mean still have the, we had the original tw- edition we also. had the special are, are edition. they going to fix the effects we had the original then we had the special <laughs> edition and then we had the 25th anniversary edition was that or yep, 30th anniversary 25th. Edition. 25th. I think it was 25th. Okay. 25th anniversary edition so i you know are they going to fix the effects? You mean fix the ones that they ruined? Or yeah, <laughs> no, they're just updating those ruined effects. Oh, they're updating the ruined ones. <laughs> Updated special effects. They'll be Atmos and surround sound plus an all new exclusive commentary. But updating the special if, effects. If, if the time scoop is not a flat, well, black triangle, <laughs> I'm not interested. I think updating well, that, the, I, updating I the special effects could be well. Yeah, you can still see the originals, but you can't on the discs that we have as well already. But it, I think if they update the original effect, but still use the spirit of the black triangle, I think maybe they could tweak that and make it look cooler, but still have kind of that same and keep faithful to that that look or that design. This is true. The little swirly vortex thing, I I have to agree. It's kind of the <laughs> it's it's just nice try, not just not the, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of these bonus features look fantastic. Like 
Look who's driving. Join Peter Davis and Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton on a hilarious European road trip. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> Listen to Davison and, and Fielding fight the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah Sutton sat in the back seat uncomfortable. Yep. yep. I'm down Sounds for like it. <laughs> down for it. <laughs> and something called Once Upon a Time Lord, a rare U.S. documentary from the 1980s. Yeah, I saw that. That was kind of interesting. That's something that I'm I think I've, I've heard about, but I had never never seen any clips or anything from it. So that would be cool. And then Why finally, a time lord. I'll have to look that up. That sounds familiar. And then finally, and finally, BBC and Doctor Who revealed. The design of the 14th Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver. What you guys and, think? And had it available for purchase as a toy at San Diego Comic-Con. What you guys think? As well as having a replica. I kind of like that it, it invokes a lot of the style and design of, of all of the screwdrivers in New Who. I like that it has a little bit of Davison, or Davison, a little bit of... Um, Capaldi has a little bit of uh, Tennant. It has a little bit of Smith. It has a little bit of, well, yeah, Eccleston's obviously was the same as, as Tennant's. But um, I like how it kind of has those, but then it has its own unique uh, style as well. I really like the cracked texture on the on the handle. I think that's kind of neat. And I didn't know this, but the guy that uh, designed this, He's a huge fan. He it was a total honor for him to do it. And I read today that the on the little uh, part that flicks the screwdriver on in Gallifreyan there is his son's name. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty pretty neat little piece. But yeah, I guess this guy was enamored, and they allowed him to be the one to present it to Tenet um, on the day of shooting. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, too. that's cool. Yeah. It's very much 10 and 11's baby. Yeah. It, and it, rightfully so, since it's 10 returning to the role. Yeah. I think, so. Yeah. And I, looking at it closer, I can see what you're talking about for Capaldi. I think it's more in the tip. Second one. Yeah. The the blue little crystal almost yeah. thing that he had in his. I think it's one from, that he barely got to use. Right. I think from there up, I think is kind of reminds me of. Capaldi's. Yeah. Obviously not the uh, Sonic uh, shades. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I like the shades. Yeah. yeah. Kind of miss the shades. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that they're giving. I know, you know, they destroyed the Sonic in the comic, but I'm kind of surprised they're giving the 14th Doctor his own screwdriver. For three stories. Unless it's going to be inherited by the 15th and the 15th isn't going to get his own design. And I don't see that. That's happen. the case. I feel like they should have almost held it back, avoided sonic usage in the three specials and unveiled it as truly as the 15th doctors. I can see that point, but I also concede the fact that it's the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who and the Sonic's been there since for the majority of that. So I think it was fitting that it's there. Although well, they knew need to have merchandise to market. Well, you know. yeah, right. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> More than anything else. And now we come to the meat of the matter. <laughs> they got to have toys to sell. 
we are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the Target novelizations and publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrace Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Podcast. All right, well, let's move on to our reviews. Um, then, uh, Just as a little primer here, we want to remind people that we are... Um, Doing the Toymaker Adversary Archive Part 1, and the reason we're doing that is because it is heavily speculated by much of fandom that Neil Patrick Harris will be embodying the role of the Toymaker in one of the upcoming specials. And so we kind of felt like, well, that could be the case, and if it is, it's very timely that we do our Adversary Archive, which we haven't done one of these for a long time but obviously before Beep the Meep, which we also were doing in conjunction with this uh, 60th. But uh, we hadn't done our adversary archives for a long time, so we're getting back into those for the 60th. And um, Sean brought up last week, I think it was our last episode when we were talking about the schedule as to why I just put Toymaker and not Celestial Toymaker. And I think I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about that because I was a little surprised that they both leaned into that in Nightmare Fair. Not surprised, I suppose I should say, because Nightmare Fair was slated to be a Six Doctor story back in the 80s. But also that they, on the Lost Stories version of it, they don't say it as much. And they do refer to him as the toy maker. In the um, novel, it's, he's referred to as the Mandarin. But the reason I went to that is because there are still those connotations that I think that they're trying to step away from. Because Celestial, and he is dressed as a Mandarin, Celestial also is a a word for, um, uh, what is it, Far Eastern or Eastern Asia, or, or I should say just Asian. Uh, oh. Yeah, and so it... I it, did not know it, that. It, it, it I is, did not know that either. Yeah, not only is it like galactic, but it's it's also, yeah, uh, used in reference to Asia. I think particularly China um, back in the day, uh, or Eastern origin. And so... While I don't think that it, the word itself is problematic, what was problematic was the, face that, the fact that it was a, 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 a white English actor playing the role dressed as a Mandarin. So I think that, that they've sort of learned their lessons over the years, and I think that's why they've sort of distanced themselves from using Celestial Toymaker. Um, we do have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is in the Nightmare Fair. He is addressed as the Mandarin. And he is still dressed as a Mandarin. So there is that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did uh, manage, I believe all of us got a chance to read The Nightmare Fair, which was the novelization by Graham Williams that was a part of the Lost Stories collection that Target published back in the 1989. And then uh, the one more importantly, the reason why we did that is because we uh, reviewed The Nightmare Fair, The Lost Stories uh, 1.1, which is the very first lost story that Big Finish did uh, back in 2009. And the reason I'm lumping these together is because I think we'll probably end up uh, comparing them as we talk about it. So, Keith, do you have a synopsis for either or or both? I do. I'm going to go with the Big Finish one because Good. it's shorter. Good. The TARDIS has been drawn to Blackpool in the year 1986, where the Doctor intends to investigate a dangerous space-time vortex. While enjoying some local attractions along the way, 
But an old enemy is watching from his base deep within the amusement park, a timeless being who craves revenge. The celestial toy maker has returned. The game is on. And should he lose, the doctor will pay the ultimate forfeit. Bum, bum, bum. Why don't you start? Uh, the open of this is just a sheer delight. Uh, I kind of feel like I would very much like the Sixth Doctor and Perry to go on vacation and ride the rides and eat the cotton candy and not get into an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun just listening to them banter and, uh, you know, scream with delight at roller coasters and, uh, listen to the sixth doctor talk with disdain about something that uh, was initially his idea. Uh, it, it just, you know, Perry rolling her eyes, like even it's an audio, but you, you, you totally get that that was it. Um, and so all of that I thought was great. And then the toy maker shows up and it just kind of, I hate to say this, but it, it, it just kind of becomes another poorly written Sixth Doctor TV episode where nothing is really resolved by the end of it. Ding, 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 ding. You hit the nail on the head. You get a prize. Pick from these <laughs> Pick from these stuffed animals I have mounted on the wall here. I want the panda. Here's the panda, sir. The panda in the chair. That's the one I want. <laughs> um, My bigger yeah. problem with it is how, you know, the Doctor get, and Perry... It's, it's okay that the Doctor and Perry get separated, but then the Doctor gets thrown in jail and nothing happens for the longest time. <laughs> Just absolutely nothing. And he's doing, he's supposed, you know, he's he's doing his, his techno wizardry in the background mm -hmm. to do his thing to take down the toy maker. But, you know, I'm here for this, the sixth Doctor and the toy maker to go toe-to-toe toe with their fantastic voices and their soliloquies that they do and they barely get to do it mm -hmm. they barely get to go tete -a tete and even in the book even in the book yeah even in, and more yeah the, the the novel the novelization i feel does a little better job than mm -hmm. the audio does the audio feels like it he's in that prison cell forever yeah yeah. And nothing happens. And then even when he gets out, it feels like everyone else is down there forever doing nothing. Not only is it that he's in the cell forever with nothing happening, he's in the cell. And the, the reason that nothing is happening is because the toy maker is getting ready for his great work. And there's this massive implication of we've got, uh, you know, these e potentially evil toys, uh, this video game that does who only knows what to the designer mm -hmm. and we've got licensing and we're going to up the old, you know, the whole factories going to California to start mass producing and churn all this stuff out. And none of that is elaborated on nope. all of it. Is dropped. <laughs> yep. yep. And it's like, well, why did we spend so much time on it? If you weren't going to do anything with yeah, it? Yeah. It, it really feels like, and, and here's the thing that I think that frustrates me is because it, both the book and the, and the, short story although the short story i think could have probably earned the short story the uh, audio should could have obviously left out that element of it with the video game that's going out to be especially if you're not going to address it but i think maybe they were also trying to stay as true as they could to the script 
But I think yeah. the the problem that I have with it is, is it really does the book especially feels like it's been been written from a six doctor uh, a script that would have been produced in the 1980s. It really feels like one of these. What were they doing? Two or three parts at this time? It was three parts? It was only a two part. Yeah, this the 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 audio was, but were they were doing three at this time, or were they doing two forty fives? They were doing two forty five. They were doing two forty five. So yeah, so it feels part. like the first. They probably would have done a day of shooting outside at Blackpool. And that would have been the first, you know, maybe third, maybe half of the first story where we had all that exposition of, of them doing it, which I agree with uh, Sean. I just want to see that. I would love just to have Perry and the doctor exploring Blackpool uh, Carnival or amusement park the whole time. And <laughs> no, don't even need to. Well, and board. even the mystery building up to, I mean, we knew it was the toy maker behind the scenes yeah. going into it, but had I not known the mystery building up to who is behind this would have, and then the ultimate reveal would have been awesome. Well, I, was, I don't know that I, they, I enjoyed this entire story up until they get in jail. That's just it though. I don't know that they would have done it that way because in, unless they just shot the, the, the um, toy maker's mouth. And it's my understanding that, that um, uh, Michael Goff was going to Michael. Yeah was going to come yes. back and play the uh, toy maker if they had shot this in the 80s. When they went mm-hmm. to do the audio story, it's my understanding that he was like in his 90s by that time and had turned them down or they didn't even approach him because they weren't sure that he would even do it because of his age, advanced age. But so they would have even had him. And I think that if you had did something where when he's talking, if you didn't quite pull out yet and reveal who it was, maybe just shots of his mouth, shots of his hands. Yeah, it could have been very effective. But I think the clunky way that they were shooting these at the time, they'd have just shown us to him the first time he started speaking. So the reveal would have come so early that that would have even been spoiled. And so I don't think because it as you guys say, when you get to the jail and nothing happens and Perry and, and the kid are walking through uh, the ride trying to f- find their way out. And they 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 have these this really great little um, group of, I, I assumed they were animatronic troll things or the, the, the miners that kind of sort of come to life, which is very much in line with the, the toy makers MO. But then I never really felt <coughs> that the two were ever put in any real danger. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think that they underutilized these little mechanical miners or whatever they were. They were, I think they were supposed to be quasi mechanical, quasi alive. They underused those, and so there's not enough of that. And then, yeah, it really feels like they probably planned to shoot, you know, the rest of the the uh, two two or three quarters of this in a studio, and so that's why it's written this way. But then, when Graham Williams gets a hold of the novelization, because oh, well, they didn't do my thing on TV, he almost like he adapts the TV script as a novel when he had free reign to kind of expand on some things and, and broaden it out a little bit more and make it a little more exciting. I'm sure he was confined to his 180 you know pages that <laughs> Target would have given him, but I think he could have probably pulled a Terrence Dix and, well, Dix was uh, pretty much guilty of just straight copying, but who was the one that we read that did the... Um, what was the one that we were impressed that they kind of deviated from the script? It was the one with the from uh, the mask. No, not the masker. The one where they the Trojan horse story. We were kind of impressed that they kind of deviated a little bit from the story and kind of embellished some things. If I think he could have done this, especially since nobody had seen this. You know, it, it's not like you're going to adapt something that people saw and they went, "Oh, you kind of went too far." 
this is one where it's his story. He could embellish it a little more, but he doesn't do that. And I think that's the disappointment is that reading it, it's like, uh, okay, this totally would have been one of those middling, midi, you know, mediocre Six Doctor stories from the, from the 80s. And obviously, you know, what elevates it is the performances. Um, Colin Baker is, as usual, fantastic uh, with, with what he's given. Uh, I thought Nicole Bryant did a great job kind of stepping back into a different Perry than what we have gotten in Big Finish uh, because they've really advanced her character yeah. so much in the intervening years that she she's not quite the damsel in distress that she was written to be on television. And yet because this is a TV script, we very much get TV Perry where she's not given a whole lot to do and she is separated from the doctor and then immediately, you know, kind of runs afoul of things. But yet she, she still manages to to tweak things a little bit so it's, it's, it's not a complete waste of the character. Yeah, and I was going to say, because I appreciate why they did it because of yeah. they were trying the authenticity of, of a lost story from that era. But I agree with you. I think that she... she steps that back to that Perry, but she also gives it just a little bit more so that it's different. So yeah, I appreciated that. And I was very shocked to find out that this wasn't Michael Goff. Oh, is that right? I think he sounds very much different than Michael Goff. Oh really? Yeah. Maybe it's because I, I've always, I I mean, I, I, I really enjoy Michael Goff, but I've always known Michael Goff as old Michael Goff. I kind of came to him as, you know, well, He's Alfred the Butler from right. Batman. He he was in Sleepy Hollow. He's done all these Tim Burton things. Uh, and then to come back and see him in this younger role in Doctor Who is like, oh, wow. Uh, so for me, it's always kind of been the reverse. So when I heard this guy, I heard Alfred the Butler huh. and just kind of fell back into it. That Yeah, that's totally him. Uh, but it wasn't. So I felt he had a, he almost had a deeper gravelly voice. And I, I didn't, more so than, you know, Michael Goff did so I would that, that's what bothered me a little bit about it was now that being said if you're going to bring somebody in that and and I think David Bale does a, a fantastic job I think his performance is great I didn't, don't think he had a lot to work with but I think for what he did he came across you know quite menacing maybe not as as menacing or deadly as he could have been but he did come across he did deliver and so I appreciated him in this but it just kind of took me out of it thinking that's not Michael Goff. I can't hear it. So I think that what sort of will fix it is the fact that if Neil Patrick Harris is the toy maker and is just this same incarnation, but with a different face, then that tells me that the toy maker can take on different appearances as well. And then I'm okay with that. But, and even, you know, personalities and voice and things like that, like the doctors do. Now, and maybe this is something else that that we'll kind of get into a little bit further on. But do, doing an adversary archive on the Celestial Toymaker, did am I crazy, or did did we just speculate it, or has it been acknowledged and confirmed somewhere that the Toymaker is an Eternal? So it has been postulated by fandom i believe i don't think it has ever been i don't think it's ever been official i think that 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 based on things that have been said and hints and things like that 
yes, they've implied that. However, this story steps back on that and almost makes him his own being himself. Oh, you know why we we thought that? Because in that um, that annual uh, from the year they did or the year prior that they did uh, Time Lord Victorious, I think he is included when they're talking about the ancient ones. I think they lumped mm. him in with the uh, Eternals in that one. So I guess technically it has been official, but this sort of steps it back and makes it almost feel like he's a he's an he's an entity on his own from a different uh, dimension or a different universe even. That's one one of the things I did appreciate about this was the exploration, even though the Doctor kind of jumps to conclusions on his own without any kind of confirmation. Um, but the the exploration of the Toymaker's backstory i thought was was an interesting part of it yeah 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 it was definitely a cool backstory and i don't know i suppose my head canon has maybe room for both shades of them are true because i I really do kind of like the idea and i could have sworn it was further back than that like when we actually reviewed enlightenment uh or maybe it was when we reviewed no we uh, I, i was I don't Probably. think I knew of the toy maker. I think I knew of the toy maker, but hadn't we hadn't gotten to it yeah. by the well, time we did Enlightenment? Sean, so maybe we maybe I reversed that when well, we did the selection. Yeah, toy maker. Well, Sean, when we came when we talked about when we when, yeah, when we watched the recon for Celestial Toymaker, we talked about that how that had become okay. how it had become a, a fandom. Thing. That must be what I'm thinking of then, because I, I I really thought that that had been all but confirmed. But you know, I'm old; I forget things. Uh, so. I, I, I kind of like where they went and where they took it. And it certainly did explain things as far as his power set being able to craft things mm-hmm. and, you know, in thin air and just focus his attention on it. Um, and so the fact that, well, he's from a, a universe where the, the laws of physics are different. So therefore the laws of physics of our universe don't apply to him. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind that. It's a, you know, kind of a simplistic answer. Um, but if you're going to give me, an answer sure i'll take that one why not right, right. Mm-hmm. okay uh and I, and I liked also the fact that in that backstory it wasn't he still wasn't sure so it leaves it open for all these different well one person thinks this and another person thinks this and it makes it so that every time we get a different answer it still can work yeah I just wish there had been more to it. Um, again, it, it was like, this is a cool setup, but the, 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 the execution left something to be desired. I'm, yeah. I've, I've pulled that uh, annual I was talking about, and it does not equate uh, the toy maker in that little section that it talks about the Eternals. So that was, that was not, at least there, they don't canonize it. <laughs> According to the TARDIS wiki, he has also been called the Crystal Guardian. Oh, right. He's been so maybe he's we been were... equated to the to the Black Guardians and the White Guardian as well. Yeah, he's been considered a Guardian as well. Which we always, I think, we assume that the Guardians were also Eternals. Of yeah, some sort. I think you're right. So, yeah. 
I suppose one of these days we'll have to get Glenn to uh, put together the official Traveling the Vortex infographic of <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Eternals. Who, who's who amongst the uh, the Celestials uh, and the Eternals. And, you know, are they in fact the same or does one outrank another? Yeah, right. You'll get on that for our patrons, won't you? Glenn? Absolutely. I'm on it now. <laughs> Well, speaking of comics, do we want to move on and talk a little bit about the uh, the short? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's start. Games? Let's start there with the short. Yeah. The synopsis is almost as long as the story. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we I don't think we need to do a synopsis. <laughs> I I enjoyed the, the, this. I thought it was really cool. Um. It sort of puts the toy maker in a bit of a even keel with somebody. I mean, even more so than the doctor, although the doctor, I mean, twice now has defeated the, the toy maker in a way, but this really, it's like the toy maker find meeting his match and putting himself in a stalemate, which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, the fact that the toy maker doesn't win and then is like, okay, I'm not going to try again. Goodbye. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of a cool idea. It's, it's, it, he doesn't, he finds he doesn't need to win. He just satisfies that curiosity as to if it could be done. Well, and even uh, the, the toy maker being such a, a, a game master that as he he starts off and he's he's very cocky and very confident and uh, you know oh i can do this and then realizes i think pretty quickly that nope i am outclassed yeah <laughs> and I, I i appreciate the fact that he is such a gamester that while the previous bits of him and his game playing he kind of seems like the type who would kick over the board and and throw a fit but instead, he starts playing into a stalemate. And he, it, it's, it's done both to save face, but also because he, you know, he, he, he is outclassed. To, yeah, he doesn't want to lose, but he is outclassed. So he, he's, he's not going to own up to the losing part of it, right. but he's not above throwing a game right? Uh, if he can still get some sort of advantage out of it. And I thought that was very telling of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I guess it's really just, you know, perfectly lines up with his mo that you know it's not like he's never cheated somebody in a game before (laughs) right um but just in this particular instance the fact that this is how he chose to do it and he 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 did it legally Mm -hmm. he didn't cheat he he didn't uh you know throw the game per se um it just oh it was a a draw okay well thanks right and away we go and uh that to me i just thought it was it was very uh very cool. I liked that element being uh, being revealed. It's a little surprising that he's willing to accept the draw and that it's a stalemate. But I think, you know, that because he was on the verge of losing, had he, he you know, been on the verge of winning and it turning into a stalemate, I think he would have thrown over the board. Oh, because yeah. He, it, because he was so close to losing, it makes me okay that he is willing to accept the stalemate well and i think and him as as sean pointed out learning early enough on that he may have met his match and so then he's just at this point trying to keep his head above water 
and realizing that, okay, this is the way out of this, or this is the way to at least, you know, conclude this with, and, and save face a little bit. So. Yeah, absolutely. Had he gone in and just been <laughs> smacked around up one side and down the other, he totally would have thrown a fit mm-hmm. yeah. and accused the other guy of cheating or, you know, something, but. It was just fun to have him on the back foot for a change and not yeah. have it not be the doctor that was the reason for it. Yep. For sure. Anybody looking for this one, uh, if you can get a hold of Doctor Who Magazine 192, uh, published in October, or, well, yeah, released in October of 1992, uh, that's where you can find this short story by Warwick Gray. Well, should we move on to the comic now, which is called The Greatest Gamble? This is or this one. or or also um, the toy maker comes to America, <laughs> <laughs> setting up shop before the nightmare fair, right? <laughs> um, Which I didn't realize until looking at this. It's written by John Peel. Oh, it is. I didn't realize that either. I'll be darned. Well, this is more in line of what I expect from a toy maker. Yeah, story. And you know what? Now that you say that, it really kind of almost feels like a John Peel story, and not not it, that's not a detriment to it. But John Peel has a idea of how Doctor Who works and how Doctor Who characters work, and I don't want to make it sound like his stories are cookie cutter or formulaic. But when you read his stories, you really kind of feel like you're reading a Doctor Who or you're reading something from that universe. And so it makes sense why this feels so much that way is because Peel wrote it. So, huh, I'll be darned. Yeah, there's definitely, that's not, I don't look at that as a, a slight at all. There's mm-hmm. definitely no. a, uh, a, a vibe yes, to a, a particular style that Doctor Who has. And so when you get an author that gets it and you're in the vibe, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Um, and this was, again, this was just another fun story. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with Keith. It very much is like, is it sad that both little kind of, I don't want to say throwaway, but, but minor footnote stories dealing with the toy maker, both felt maybe better put together and thought out than the <laughs> the lost story that would have been an actual yes yes is that weird no it's not weird i think both of these authors um get more of the spirit of what the toy maker was in the celestial toy maker and i think they both do it well um so yeah no i agree i i completely see what you mean i mean just it almost feels yeah. like the, you know the um I, i'm sorry who wrote the uh, Nightmare Fair. Um, Warwick, uh, I just had it pulled up here. Warwick Graves? Gray? Who wrote the, the TV, uh, the script? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, boo, I don't I don't know. Was it not Malcolm? Um, no, I don't think it was. Uh, we'll see. Sorry, Nightmare Fair was Graham Williams. Um, but the Graham original, Williams. But the original uh, Celestial Toy Maker or, or this one? Yeah, no, 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 this one. Okay, Graham yeah, so I Graham did, Williams. I just couldn't yeah. think. Nightmare yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Nightmare Fair. Um, Okay, so I, 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 this is going to sound terribly disparaging, and I don't mean to, but the way Nightmare Fair reads, it, it, it almost comes across as a journeyman writer assigned to write Doctor Who and given the Celestial Toy Maker and said, "Here, go do something with this," and just was like, "Eh," 
just didn't quite have the same passion for it as they should. Does that again? Does that make sense? It just I I, I can only imagine that being you know a who writer and and getting the chance to oh you know Glenn we want you to write a Dalek episode. There should be a level of joy in the writing, <laughs> and there, yeah. there 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 isn't in this. It's like you know Glenn go write a Slovene episode. Oh, That's Lord. kind of the equivalent <laughs> of what this feels like. <laughs> it just. The, the characters just do not come across with any level of uh, of joy to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once the, the at least on the toy maker side, and that that to me is just surprising that these kind of little offshoot, quote unquote, non canon stories are way better. <laughs> well, what yeah, do we just, what do we think of the greatest scandal? I mean, I, I I love the idea of the fact that. The, the toy maker comes along to play this game and this guy who's supposed to be this really good gambler ends up turning to cheating. And so the toy maker's onto him. And so the toy maker mm-hmm. decides, okay, well the toy maker, I think for the most part is honorable as far as his games go in the last story that we just reviewed, he has to sort of do the, um, he has to work into the stalemate so that, but it's still on the up and up. And this one is where he has <coughs> to turn to, cheating but he justifies it because it's like fighting fire with fire there was there was no way that he could win based on a cheat so then the rules of the game have changed and and cheating is now allowed so that main you know allows him to get the upper hand at the end of this right and then making uh was it gaylord was the name of the the gambler making him a toy Mm -hmm. in his collection so it's kind of a neat way to end it Showing us also all of the other different losers that had become toys as well. It's nice also to, you know, see how the toy maker goes around collecting his toys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a nice, nice little quick side aside from a standard story. It does turn the tables too. both this and the last one turns the tables on who the antagonist and who the protagonist is in the story and i i Mm -hmm. I will not use the word hero or villain but certainly the uh protagonist and antagonist in in these stories is turned on its head by featuring the toy maker without uh the doctor and having another adversary who's you know just as rotten (laughs) in both cases And if you uh, wanted to run this one down, this is even older. This was in Doctor Who magazine uh, 56 uh, in September of 1981. It was reprinted in uh, Marvel's Doctor Who comics uh, as a standalone story. And I believe that issue was, I had it here and now I can't find it. Oh, issue 20. So back in 1984, when they reprinted these in Marvel Comics. So there you go. That is our first part of our um, adversary archive on the Toymaker. Um, we'll get into this. Uh, well, we won't get into the schedule because we're only going to talk so much about the schedule this week. But <laughs> later on down the road, and then in the, in the coming months, we do plan to do another Toymaker adversary archive um, ahead of um, presumably the toy maker's appearance in one of the Doctor Who specials. 
Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram, putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories. So you don't have to. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex. Sean, what do you got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up next, we do some more uh, tie-ins for the big uh, finish 60th anniversary. No, that's wrong. Let me back up. We do another big finish 60th anniversary (laughs) tie-in with Once in Future. Uh, Genius for War, which is part three of their uh, contributions to the 60th anniversary. And then we return also to Doomsday. We get uh, two more issues of uh, Titan Comics covering hours six, seven, eight, and nine. And so we will be uh, doing all that on the next one. And then we return to our exploration of season 6B, part four, with a big finish audio drama, Doctor Who, the Second Doctor Adventures, James Robert McCrimmon. Of course, starring the absolutely wonderful Fraser Hines. Yeah, and so uh, presumably this will be when the, uh, for our season 6B, this will be when the Doctor is reunited with Jamie um, after departing in the war games. So that'll be interesting. And I can't wait because you say second Doctor, I say Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's going to be a lot of fun to listen to. There are no TP. All right. Well, you, of course, can find us at TravelingTheVortex.com. If you get any value out of this podcast, please consider putting some value back into it. You can do that by clicking on our Patreon link and support us. Uh, even as little as a dollar will get you all of the fun things that we're doing up there. Um, Sean just uh, hosted another trivia quiz for us. So we've done six of those so far. And number six is up there on the feeds. Um, so be sure, patron listeners, uh, to listen to that and let us know how you did on the uh, trivia quiz. And then, of course, uh, if you want to join, like I said, just just as little as a dollar in order to uh, unlock the access to those uh, fun things we're doing. Sean's got another Star Trek uh, coming up uh, that he's going to do. It's one of his uh, side trip projects that he's been embarking on reviewing the various seasons of Star Trek through the years. And then uh, I do have some more uh, comic adventures uh, that I've been going through um, with the first Doctor that will be going up there soon as well. And I think Keith is on deck for uh, uh, quiz number seven. So look for those in the future. 
Also consider giving us a five-star re- uh, review wherever you subscribe to the podcast. That that goes uh, a long ways to um, bumping us up on a lot of these um, uh, podcast aggregators. Gets our name out there, uh, gets people familiar with us and more people listening. So if you can help us out there, we appreciate it. And of course, you can join on the conversations on our listeners forum on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter and we are on TikTok. Just search Traveling the Vortex on all of those um, avenues. Anything else we need to touch on in this episode? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.